Good morning. Um, Mazel tov to Rivki for her son getting married. I'm really excited for her. Actually, I know her son from when he was a little boy, so it's very exciting. We are going to be doing Sicha from Chelek Yotes, Shoftim, it's Sicha Dalid. Um, it's a really, really complicated Sicha, but I, I gained a lot from preparing it, so I'm grateful to that opportunity. Um, before we start, I'll just give you a little backdrop. We're going to be talking about witnesses and what is a witness, what halachic reality does a witness actually create, and according to the Torah, we need two witnesses, one is not enough. There are two types of witnesses. One is called um, ade biror, a witness of clarification, like the word livarer to explain. Um, and they will, this type of witness will come to a base scene and saw, say, I saw such and such happen, and that would be their testimony. The other is ade kium, a witness of establishment, I suppose. Um, and they are not clarifying what happened they're actually establishing the halakhic reality that something did happen. This could sometimes be the same person, but th these two types of witnesses is um, fundamental to the sicha itself. So um, I mentioned that I made the safaria sheets. Let me see if I can do a screen share just for the, the sheet for a minute. Um, let's see here. Um, okay, if we go to the top of the sheet, we have the Pasuk here in Dvarim. So let's start in the Sicha itself. So it's the Ip Aleph. Begedre edus al pishnaim edim v'gomer yakim davar matzinu shnei sugim. So with regard to witnesses, um, we see that there are two types. Just want to check the chat. Uh, this, uh, link to the Sicha. Does somebody want to post it? Or I could, it's a little hard for me to do that while I'm teaching. Does anybody have the Sicha link they can post? Okay, I'll do that in a minute after I stop the screen share. Um, Aleph, oh, so we're, we're going to reference the, the Pasuk over here. As it says, one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or on any sin or in any sin that he may commit at the, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall be established, but we need at least two witnesses. And that's our, our Pasuk. Um, I will grab the link. So let's just take another second, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, oh, thank you. Somebody already put it in. Thank you, Rachel. Okay. Um, let's continue with the Sicha. Ade Biror, Viladugma Ade Malve, Sheinyanim, Hura Kabiror, Beim Haita. Halava im halava kishela atma enotulia beedim. Dafilu haita halava below edim hal al halove hachilu lifroachobo. Okay, so a classic example of the first type of witness, the ade bibor. I'm going to use the Hebrew terms. For example, is with loaning money. That the witness is coming to testify that this transaction happened. 
but the transaction itself, the loan itself is not dependent on the witness. And even if there was a loan without witnesses, if I lend you something, it's you still have to give it back to me, the, the loan still exists. You're still obligated to return what I lend you, even if there was no witness. So according to this, when the Pasuk says that you need two witnesses, it's that the verification of what happened is according to the Edim. But now there's another type of witness. Bed ade kium, beledugma ade kiddushin, and these are called adekium, and they are part of what actually happened. For example, marriage, kiddushin. So we know that even if a man and a woman agree amongst themselves, that they're gonna get married, that the man is gonna acquire the woman, but there were no witnesses, it's not a marriage. It doesn't, it didn't happen. Because if there were not witnesses to the marriage, the marriage did not actually take place. So according to this explanation that these types of witnesses, they themselves create the reality that this actually happened. They establish what actually, that, that the incident actually happens. We have the two types of Edim. We have the Ede Biror that testify to what actually happened. But if I lend you money and nobody witnessed it, you still have to pay me back the money. And then we have the Ade Kium that their presence establishes that what happened happened. So if two people try to get married and nobody witnessed it, the marriage didn't happen. Saif Bet. So the Rebbe is now going to give us another distinction between these two types of witnesses. So the Ade Biror, they actually only become witnesses at the time of their testimony, at the time that they're brought to a court, to a Beistin. But if nothing ever comes of it, they witness the transaction, but and it, that's it, it ends there, nothing, there's no need for verification. So they, they don't actually become witnesses until the point that they would be brought to a court to testify. Masha Einken, but on the other hand, I think Rifki likes contradistinction, However, the they actually um, become witnesses at the moment that the action happens in in the in the moment. And according to this, the Helega Ragachever explains the reason why you don't need to do research and questioning on the Edekium. Um, because Chakira Vidrisha, questioning and research, Shaykhus Besug Edim Shegeder Edus Chal Alehem. 
the Iker Beheyot and Bebeistin. That, that really applies to witnesses where the, their main function is in a court. In front of judges. So that's because they're not really witnesses until they're brought to court and until you're going to um, listen to their testimony. So at this point, you need to research them and make sure that you know, they're reliable. However, with the other type of witnesses, the Ede Kedushin, they're in the category of the Ade Kiyum, the witnesses to a marriage, for example. And the Torah has already designated them witnesses at the moment that the action transpired, at the moment of the Kedushin, the marriage, whatever it is. Therefore, there, it doesn't make any sense that you would research them and you would question them and you would make sure that they're reliable. The Beistin. You wouldn't do that in court, research them, etc., in order to verify that they're indeed kosher witnesses because they were already witnesses from the time that they saw what happened. So that process would be completely irrelevant if it took place in a court. This is the Ragachever explaining to us again, another difference between the two types of witnesses. Se'if Gimel. So now we're gonna go into a very specific halacha regarding a few instances. We're gonna talk about marriage, but it would apply to actually four different things. Alpi hanal ha'edim hem chelek memaisa ha'kedushim, behem mekaimim as ha'kedushim. So according to what we just discussed, that the witnesses are an integral part of a marriage um, and they establish that the marriage itself happens. That's why with regard to marriage, there's no such thing as an immediate retraction. So for example, if you come to my house and you wanna borrow something, and I say, okay, here it is. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, that's the wrong one. Take this instead. Or, oh, it's not available. You know, I immediately retract within this within the same amount of time that I'm that I say, sure, no problem. I, I make an immediate retraction. That holds, and that that's completely fine. But that does not exist for something like marriage. It's also divorce, um, idol worship, or or blasphemy of Hashem. And by idol idol worship, we mean the verbal accepting of an idol as your as your deity. Um, we're only going to talk about marriage in the Sikha. So that notion of an immediate retraction does not exist, whereas it does with all other um, transactions that people have. As it says in the Gemara, as it says in the Gemara, that with regard to these four situations, you cannot immediately retract your words. So what's the difference? Why marriage and divorce um, are different than all other types of transactions. So the Ron explains, so 
so the the Ron explains that with most things, a person um, says it with the intention that he can retract it if he needs to. But when it comes to things that are super duper significant, that are like major, major life milestones, um, major impacts on our life, like marriage and divorce, person doesn't fall into it. It's not the same thing as lending um, a cup of flour <laughs> for a recipe um, to your neighbor. You know, marriage and divorce is a much more significant thing. So therefore, as soon as it, a person doesn't fall into making this, this um, decision and therefore they, they cannot take it back. Uh, the Rev is going to push a little bit on this. But this needs um, a little bit more of an explanation. So therefore, you can say that with all other transactions, that immediate retractions would not be, uh, would not be a problem that the transaction is not actually complete until a couple seconds after the conversation, basically. If you ask to borrow something and I say, sure, so maybe a second or two later is when it actually falls into place. Because in that initial pause that I would have had time to retract it, uh, it's, it's a very short amount of time. Maybe it's you know one or two seconds, the amount of time that it would say, oh, actually, you know, I changed my mind. Um, for that amount of time, whatever that is, the um, the agreement or the transaction is actually not valid. It needs that, that short period of time to pass until it becomes valid. So if a person gives his friends a piece of food, for example, the receiver is actually not allowed to eat it. It says meaning that if the person did eat it, um, immediately it would probably be okay. Um, until about a, a couple seconds, the amount of time that it would take to utter a word has passed. Um, and this would be a new concept. So therefore, we have to say that, um, in general, all sorts of lending and transactions, like I explained, they need to um, stall for about the amount of time that a person has in a matter of speech, meaning within the same sentence. To retract it, there's that, that short little bit of time that the person can um, retract what their gift or retract their loan. But this does not apply to marriage and divorce. And this is because there's something that's very different that happens here. The kedushin, the marriage and the divorce, is contingent upon the witnesses. So right instantly after it happens, there's no delay. The instantly after it happens, it cannot be retracted because the Adim themselves, they um, create the reality that this actually happened. So once it's seen, in the, in the instant that it's seen, it happened, it's done. There's no short little pause. There's no, oh, I was just kidding. There's no retraction. So with other things, the Adim don't create the fact that it happened. They don't establish that this transaction took place. They're just witnessing what happened. 
And in a normal case where I'm lending somebody something, it's really according to me, it's according to my word. Therefore, I can retract it or a person can retract it within the amount of time that it would take to say, oh, actually, that's no longer available. Oh, I made a mistake. Oh, I, I don't need that anymore. So you have you have a couple seconds over there to take it back. But when it comes to marriage or divorce, it's instant. As soon as it's seen, it's done. Saif Dalid. And those are the distinctions between the two types of witnesses, the Ede viewer and the Ede Kiv. So anything that exists, as we know um, from learning sikhs, in the revealed aspects of Torah also exists in the inner workings of Torah. So we have two types of witnesses that we just established um, halakhically, create different um, realities for people or different circumstances, depending on which type of transactions you're taking. But this also is going to exist in an inner aspect of Torah. So um, anything, so we're going to just, um, anything that falls into these two categories of uh, the two types of witnesses, that um, so what are the ideas here? The the sorry, become witnesses in the moment of the in the moment when it's seen. And the ADB were become witnesses in a court of law in the big team. Um, so I'm just go through. Um, a little bit of distraction, sorry. Um, okay. Um, and bimasa hanifal al yadei edim adekiyum yeshna tokef gadol yoter yeshna gam kem beptimis ha'anyanim. And with regard to practically the adekiyum have a greater responsibility because for them, as soon as they see something, it exists, and they are the reason why a certain action takes hold, whereas the adebiwar may never actually even have to step up to the fact that they were witnesses. Dehina Ketiv, as it's written, so there's a pasuk from Tehillim, uh, sorry, from Yeshaya, excuse me, in footnote 19, I will, um, Maybe just take a minute to show you the Pasuk. Atem ade neum Hashem. My witnesses are you, declares Hashem, the Lord. So what is you? Who is you? Who are these witnesses? Atem adei neum Hashem, the Matzinu Bezoar, the Zohar explains, Shnei Perushim Bezoar, there are two explanations of who these witnesses are. Aleph, Alin Enon Yisrael, the witnesses are the Jewish people. And Bet, Alin Enon Shemai Ve'ara Dichtiv, 
The witnesses are actually heaven and earth, as it says in the Pasuk in Devarim. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. The Zohar brings in this Pasuk over here from Devarim. Okay, so we can say maybe that, not maybe, there are two types of, of uh, they're both correct, that Yisrael are the witnesses and Shemaim Ba'aretz are the witnesses, heavens and earth are the witnesses. And how are they both correct? Because they're both categories of Edim. Witnesses of, we'll call it establishment and witnesses of clarification. So the Alter Rebbe explains at length with regard to witnesses. That witnesses apply to things that are hidden that other people that most people cannot see. But something that's obvious and revealed. It doesn't need witnesses. So even more so, something that right now isn't obvious, but shortly, soon, it's going to become very obvious. It will be known. Therefore, you also don't need full testimony, full witnesses. So witnesses, witnesses apply specifically to something that is completely hidden. Okay, so that's not enough. We have to keep going. <laughs> what does this mean in Ruchnius? What does this mean spiritually? So the fact that Hashem enlivens the entire world. As it says in the Zohar and in Hasidus, he fills the entire world. This does not need witnesses. Because this is obvious. Now, if you're wondering how this is obvious, hold that, like, we're going to discuss how it's obvious. But if that answer is not perfect for you, it's okay. Hold that thought because we're going to get back to that the way end. Because um, when I was reading this, I also thought, this is obvious. But the Rebbe says it's obvious. If you're a Rebbe, obviously it's obvious. I'm sure to all the ladies in this class, it's obvious that Hashem fills the entire world. Um, if a person stops and they think about it, they meditate on, on the, the existence of the world, um, the fact that there is godliness, the fact that there is a powerful force that's enlivening the world becomes obvious then as it's written. From my flesh, I will see Hashem. I will see God. And the rabbis say, So just as the soul fills the body, so too God fills the world. And this is something that a person that is, is obvious and clear intellectually. In parentheses, as we know that this, this level of belief and this understanding, it exists among the nations of the world. 
Therefore, you don't need witnesses for this. The entire world, if they're going to stop and they're going to think and they're going to meditate intellectually without a tremendous uh, leap of faith, so to speak, is going to be able to recognize that there's a God in this world. Just as it's obvious there's a soul in my body, it's obvious that there's a God in this world. And even more so, even the belief in God, the recognition of God that's beyond this world, which is referred to in the Zohar and Hasidus as sovev kol almim, that which surrounds the surrounding aura of the entire world. This also doesn't need witnesses. Um, so just a tangent for like one second. There's two types of godliness. Uh, there's two, sorry, there's no, not two types of godliness. There's different aspects of godliness, and there's the aspect of Hashem that's within the world, and there's the aspect of Hashem that's surrounding the world. Because a person cannot simply meditate on godliness um, and it, within their limited capacity, their human intellectual capacity, which is obviously limited because we're humans. Once a person can really um, understand that there's a God in this world intellectually, they realize that by definition, their intellect is limited and that can't be it. There has to be something that goes beyond my intellect. So I can get through my intellect I can get to the recognition of the fact that there is something that must be beyond my intellect. Is that clear? That my, my intellect will bring me to understand there's godliness within this world. And my intellect will therefore also lead me to understand that there's stuff that I don't understand. You know, if anyone's ever been in like a, a medical situation, I'm just right now thinking about pregnancy, but could probably apply to anything as much as we understand as much as a doctor note when you when you actually if you're facing a, a situation that's maybe not textbook case a doctor will be the first one to admit that the tiny percent that they know is 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 minuscule compared to what they don't know and that's again not necessarily a deep spiritual notion that's just recognizing that the capacity that i have to know by definition is um, completely and totally eclipsed by that which I don't know. So therefore, a person can intellectually reach the understanding that there is something beyond my intellect. Okay. Thank you, Hani, for, for nodding. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go to page four. The la acharesha seho machrich sheyeshna chayas elokus mislabeshes baolam azehu magili de hachara she. So this is saying what I what I just kind of said. Um, once a person's intellectual intellect can prove to them that there is a, a godly chayas, a godly liveliness within the world, they can under, understand that there is more, that there has to be godliness that is beyond the world. And uh, the Rebbe brings in footnote 31. Um, so, so too, this idea that there's a God that's beyond, there's godliness that's beyond the world, this also doesn't need witnesses because this in, in, in that sense is obvious. 
Because at the end of the day, this is also a matter that will be known, even if you don't know it now, but it's something that will be known. Because as we said, the fact that there is something that is beyond me, that is beyond my intellect, is, is proven, is, is sourced in my intellect. So it's something that ultimately I can come to, I will know. The Indian Haedas, who dafka al atzmuso yisparach shalamala gam misovev kolamen. So, where does Aedas, where does witnesses come into play in this dynamic? It's something that's beyond the aspect of Hashem that is beyond my intellect, but it's it's actually the aspect of the essence, atzmuso yisparach, the essence of God, which is higher than there's there's that there's God that my understanding. I don't know, I think that's a phrase. There's Hashem that I can understand. Then there's Hashem that's like way beyond my understanding. And then there's the essence of Hashem that has nothing to do with my understanding. Because that Hashem that's beyond my understanding, it's still connected to my understanding because it's beyond my understanding. But we have to talk about a level of Hashem that's got nothing to do with my understanding. There's no connection. And that I need witnesses for because I can't get to that obvious in any intellectual way. And the fact that I'm using hand motions to even show it is, is a total misnomer in the first place. This is something that's beyond hand motions or beyond anything. Um, it has nothing to do with intellect at all. Because the essence of Hashem is something which is completely hidden. And therefore it needs witnesses in order to reveal the essence of Hashem. As we said, what is the purpose of a witness? To reveal something that is hidden. And therefore we have two types of the witnesses. We already spoke about the two types of witnesses. So let's, let's go through it now. We have first, the Ede Biror, Bibria Atma, Nikva Mitsu Shell Adim. The the um the Adim that come to um testify what happened, that the creation itself, um Nikma Mitsu Shell Adim, Hamorim al the Magalim as Koacha Ancho, Shayashin Bibria, that the heavens and the earth, which Shamain Bart, the heavens and the earth, they come to testify. Um, the, the creation itself created the heavens and earth, and they come to testify that there is, the, the heavens and earth themselves are witnesses to the fact that there's God in this world. They're testifying that there's God in this world. As we said, that the heavens and the earth can only have come through Hashem, the koach of the Ein Sof, the, the power of Hashem, or the strength of Hashem. And therefore, they serve as witnesses to the essence of Hashem. Um, and then there's Bet, Edekium, Yeshna Gam Mitsiut Shel Edim, Shelhem Nitan Hakoach Laham Shech Kivyachot Atzmuso Yisbarach Olam. And then there's the Edim of Kium, the ones that through them, the matter is established. So we have the heavens and the earth are testifying. They're, they're, they're proving to us, so to speak. Um, I don't prove is the wrong word. They're testifying that there is a God in this world because it, it has to be. Um, 
but the ADQ are the Jewish people, that they are given the power to draw down, so to speak, that they are given the power to draw down godliness into this world. And that though that is Yisrael. This is the, the Neshamas Yisrael. So through them, the matter actually becomes created because through the Jew drawing down godliness into this world, it, it, it's actually happening. So through Torah and mitzvot, they have the ability to draw godliness into this world. So they establish that it actually happened. They, they, they create the dynamic that it's happening. The heavens and the earth testify that it happened, but the Adekim, it's happening through them, through their Torah and mitzvot, they're drawing godliness into this world. They're creating the fact that it's happening. Okay, the brackets here. V'zehu gam hatam hapnimi so now we're going to get back to the idea of marriage. Why do you need adekium, or why are the witnesses of marriage adekium witnesses that establish that it happened and it can't be taken back? And the second the witness sees it, it's a done deal. Because what is the ultimate purpose of kedushin and nisuin of, of marriage? He pru or vu is to have children, is to be fruitful and multiply. And what happens when you have a child? You're drawing down Hashem, the power of the Ein Sof, into this world. The, the ability to have children um, and grandchildren until the end of the generations. Through Kiddushin, through marriage, you allow for the drawing down of the Ein Sof of, of godliness into this very low world, from the highest of the high into the lowest of the low. And we see this, which is like an amazing way to just close up this, this idea. We see this, that this uh, drawing down of the highest of the high into the lowest of the low, which happens through marriage, which happens to bringing souls into this world, who happens to having children, is something that is established by the by a dekium, because it's something that um, the witnesses themselves create this incredible reality. And the marriage itself creates this ability to bring in, to, to draw down godliness into this world. Okay, so the Rebbe is going to ask a question. If we already know that the heavens and the earth have established that there's God in this world um, as a day bewer, as um, through uh, testifying of creation. So what is the advantage of Yisrael, of the Jewish people, of the Eidekium, um, of these other types of witnesses that are able to draw godliness into this world? We have two types of witnesses. What's the advantage of the second type of witness? Habir Bazeb Beklaus. So the explanation is, Hen emes al Okay, it's true 
that the heavens and earth witness the uh, power of the, the strength, the, the, their witnesses, they testify to the fact that there's God in the world. But this does not establish the fact that the world is not an independent entity at all. That the world and that the world is completely and totally nullified to God. And the, the advantage and the novelty of the Neshama Yisrael, the Jewish people, is that through their work, through Torah and Mitzvahs, they are able to reveal Ein Od Milvado, that there's nothing but Hashem. That the world is completely and totally unified with the purpose uh, of Hashem, the essence of Hashem himself. That the world is one total unity with Hashem. Uh, so there, there's these two concepts. The test that testimony, so to speak, of the heavens and earth testify there's God in the world. But the Adis, the testimony of the Neshamas Yisroh are showing us that that is what that, that that is what the existence is. The existence is the essence of Hashem. There's nothing but the essence of Hashem. There's nothing but Hashem. The world does not have its own independent, it doesn't spin on its own. It doesn't have its own independent um, existence. Um, so to clarify this, <laughs> just laughing because it was kind of confusing to in preparation so it's funny that it's referred to as a clarification okay but we're just going to go deeper to clarify this yes so we're going to bring a phrase of Chazal on the Pasuk and I can um I could show it to you if you want um the sheet I made um the land was fearful and then became calm and this is referring to Matan Torah, that before Matan Torah, the world was in a state of Yira, and afterwards it was in a state of Shakata, translated as calm or still or quiet. Betchila Yira ulevasof Shakata. So initially it was Yira, and ultimately it was calmness. Kodem Matan Torah hayita aretz v'matzav shel Yira. Before the giving of the Torah, the world was in a state of Yira, of fear, lekiuma. It was afraid of its master, afraid of God. Hamora al chalishus mitzius, because it recognized its weakness. But after they, um, the world, the Torah was given to the world, it became calm, quiet. Which, which seemed to imply that the Torah strengthened the world. It went from being fear, from the state of yira to a state of calm. However, what is the world? The world is physicality. It's physical objects that, that completely and totally hide and conceal godliness. As we know, the word olam is related to the world, word helam. Helam meaning disappear. Olam is, is a place where godliness is, is, dis, is, is unclear, is hidden, is hard to see. Um, so we have that the 
physicality of the world, disguised elokus, v'matan Torah po chalishus be'olam. And Matan Torah weakened that. We just said that Matan Torah strengthened it, that the world went from, from yira, from fear to calmness, but, but we already know that actually the giving of the Torah weakened the world. And the world became smaller, as, my, as the rabbis say, when the Torah was given, the birds did not chirp, and the world was silent. Does anyone have that Hachai book besides me? Right away, go into that. And the entire world was quiet. Um, and this is why, because the world was weakened, that specifically after the giving of the Torah, we were able to bring godliness into the physical world. As we all know, I think we all know, but as, as commonly talked about, um, before the giving of the Torah, physical objects didn't retain a godliness at, after they were used for a mitzvah, which is the example of Yaakov, that Yaakov Avinu that put on tefillin using um, sticks that he had whittled, and afterwards he discarded them. And as we all know, like even today in 2022, if uh, um, a pair of tefillin we take such care of and we would never bring it in a bathroom and we um, you know, are so careful to um, take care of it, and we definitely, definitely, definitely would never dispose of it, so to think that the tefillin that Yaakov Avinu could have used were able to be disposed and ours can't shows that there's something changed, something's different. Today, we're able to draw godliness into this world, which would, again, imply that the physicality of the world was weakened, not strengthened, was weakened so that we could actually um, bring godliness into it. So how can we say that after the giving of the Torah, the world was strengthened? So it's true that it says in the Torah that when Hashem created the world, um, he said, uh, this is in the Mara Shabbos, he said that if you will keep my Torah, I will, you will, you will, you will live. And if not, you'll return to Tovavo, you'll return to nothingness. However, this is an additional concept to the existence of the world. Like a condition on something that a person gives, like a gift. That the condition is actually additional to what's actually being happening, what's actually happening. The condition is not. The, uh, is not what is not the action. The condition is additional to the action. If you do this, I'll give you that. But the condition on it has nothing to do with the gift per se. Like the gift is the gift, and the condition is the gift is the condition. So when Hashem says, "If you'll keep my Torah, you you will you the world will continue to exist, and if not, we will go back to Tova Vo." That's a condition. But the the existence of the world is still its own thing. It's the existence of the world. And so too, when we say that the intention of the world was Bishvil HaTorah, the Bishvil Yisrael was for the purpose of the Torah and the purpose of Yisrael. So too, the Torah and Yisrael are additional. They're extra, they're, they're second. It doesn't have to be that they're secondary, but they're additional. They're, they're separate from the creation itself. 
Shabriya hi bishvil devar acher, because the creation is for the purpose of B. A is for the purpose of B. So there's A and there's B. But it's not that A equals B, there's A and there's B. So it's not that the reality of the world is Torah and Yisrael, it's for the purpose of Torah and Yisrael. And therefore, the giving of the Torah is actually a weakening of the world and not a strengthening of the world. Why? I have a little trouble like understanding this. So why? Because the giving of the Torah said that there's B. There's A and there's B. There's the world and there's the giving of the Torah. There's two separate things. So you, Mr. World, you're not all that, it, you're not everything. You thought you were everything. You thought that there was, you were the entire picture, but there's something else here. There's Torah. There's the world and there's Torah. This make sense? So in that sense, the giving of the Torah introduced the fact that there's Torah and therefore the world, there's A and there's B. The world was weakened. Um, the world was weakened. Um, the Habir Bazeh, and to explain this more, in Yenzesh Etzel Basar Vadam, Kavanas Vitaklis Hapoelet, the Hapaula Gufahem Shne in Yanim Nifradim. So with a person, with me, um, or any person, um, when a per the purpose for doing something and the action itself are two different things. As we all know that sometimes there's intention that doesn't come along with action. You can have the best intentions in the world, but sometimes if you don't, if you don't act on it, it doesn't really help so much. They're two separate things. Because actual and potential are two separate things. As we all know that the kavana, the intention, is different than the action itself. In contradistinction with regard to Hashem, there is no act, there's no uh, potential without action. The reality of the action, of the physical, is the koyach, is the potential is the intention. The kavana, therefore with regard to kavana, So with regard to the intention that the intention um, of the world is Torah and is Yisrael, therefore it shows that the Torah and Yisrael are the mitzius ha'amitis. They are the true actual reality. The world is like the shell. It's the outer, but the, the amitis, the, the true, um, the true existence is Torah Yisrael. the low gashmius, the chumrius ha'olam. And the physical of the world is not what it's all about. What it's all about is Torah Yisrael. So this is just fleshing out, just further clarifying how Matan Torah weakens the world. Not just that there was A and B, but that A is for the purpose of B. And since by Hashem, there's no distinction between actual and purpose. So the purpose is what it, what it, what it is. And A in, in that sense doesn't even really exist. The purpose is the Torah and Yisrael. 
Okay, so this so it gets it's it gets very exciting. Um, it could be kind of hard to decode at first. We see this in many places in basic halachas in Torah. That the ikr is the intention, the kavana, and not the outer externalities. So you're not allowed to carry on Shabbos out, outside of an Arab. If a person were to take a small, small amount, a little piece of, let's just say a little piece of a potato, I'm just making that up, um, they would actually be okay because if there, there's a certain amount, it doesn't say specifically what that amount is, but there's a certain amount that if it's less than that, it's not considered carrying. So let's say you took a little, little piece of potato to the point where it wasn't considered carrying on Shabbos. But in order to take your potato, you put it in a basket. So you actually, here it's called a kli, but let's call it, say in English, a basket. Um, so you actually would be putter from carrying on Shabbos, even if the basket, the kli, was larger than the small amount that is supposed to be, that you're allowed to carry without it being a problem. Because the basket is completely meaningless to you. The only thing you want is that potato. So even though you're actually carrying an object that's too large to be carried on Shabbos without an Erev, you're putter because the thing that you want, the little teeny little piece of potato, is smaller than what's allowed. Meaning that we see here in halacha that the intention, the potato, the I want the potato, overrides um, the outer externality of it, which is the basket that I put the potato in. So even though the physical um, vessel is large, is too large. Um, and even if he went into the public domain, but really the reason that you went into the public domain with this object was for the food, the tiny little piece of food. And it completely obfuscates the uh, existence of the vessel, the basket in our example, and it makes it like it's completely um, subservient to the intention, which was the little piece of food. Until the point that the vessel, it's almost like a part of the food. And if the piece of food is smaller than what is, is a small amount, it's smaller than the amount that you would um, be high for. So too, the basket would be considered smaller. Even though physically the basket is bigger, but it's considered smaller because it's completely and totally subservient to that small piece of food that you are actually allowed to carry. Sorry, can I just ask a question? Yeah. So are you, is this all coming as a proof 
that the idea is that whatever your intention is that overrides whatever your focus is that kind of overrides even the the physical reality of the item for example your your intention was the potato and therefore the basket doesn't have such significance and so we're trying to bring proof that Hashem's intention in creating the world overrides the gosh is that what is that where we go a hundred percent. No, I don't know. We're what we're gonna kind of wind down to. Just a little spoiler alert is that this is gonna. A lot of this is from a godly perspective. So I'm not a hundred percent sure how that would play out. I don't want to like imply how that would play out in all situations halachically. But the Rev is gonna bring us situations where the halacha is that the one intention overrides the other intention. The godly intent overrides the human. But yeah, what you said. 100%. So it's basically bringing out how the, the the reality of the world, it's diminishing the reality of the world because of what Hashem's intention is. Is that correct? Yeah, but even as we, when we finally wrap up, it's not even a diminishment. It's like a complete override. Okay. But yeah, Thanks. thank you, Khani. Thank you. Um, so Saif Tess. So anything, we're, we're having a great time getting very deep here, but anything in the depths of Torah is seen so too um, in the nigla and the revealed aspects of Torah. We, we see this concept that the entire, that the real reality is Torah v'yisrael, is Torah and the Jews. And other places in Nigla and the revealed aspects of the Torah. So too with regard to an uh, example brought to us by Taisvis. Halacha hi kishem she'en sorpim kadoshim beyomta. The halacha is um, that you're not allowed to bring korbanas on yomta. Because this is a godly um, desire and not a human desire. And so too, you wouldn't, I got really stuck on this. You wouldn't burn a um, impure sacrifice on Yom Tov. Why in the world would you ever burn an impure sacrifice? I was so confused. But um, there is a type of oil that um, could be, if it becomes impure, it's a part of, write this out a little bit, um, One may not burn consecrated on the uh, items on a festival. You might have thought that you can, since some kabbarnas for yamtiv you burn the ones commanded by Hashem. Um, for example, by the way, you can do this is not in sechel, but just to help understand, you might have thought. I remember the first time I went to a bris on Shabbos. I was like, really, you're allowed to do a bris on Shabbos? It seems like something you shouldn't be able to do on Shabbos. But because it's commanded by Hashem, you are allowed to do it on Shabbos. So you might have thought that you could bring a korban on Shabbos, but uh, it's, it's, sorry, on, um, but you can't burn an imp, you can't burn an impure korban on Yantif, like burnt oil which cannot be used. Burnt or impure oil must be burned because there's a pasuk that says that things which have been consecrated in the base of Mikdash and later became impure they need to be burnt. So therefore, you might have thought. Since there's a pasuk that tells me I have to do this, this is a mitzvah to burn impure oil, therefore I should be able to do it on Yantif, but you're not allowed to do it on Yantif. And the question in Totsvus is, the kevan shehana misrefas truma muteres he. 
but you're allowed to cook on Yantif, as we all know. So maybe you can um, use that burnt oil, that previously burnt oil, and cook with it because you're allowed to cook. And therefore, you're also doing a myth, doing what the Pasuk says to burn um, impure oil. Since I'm anyway allowed to cook on Yantif, why can't I use that oil? What's the difference? But you're not allowed to. You can't use that consecrated, that previously consecrated oil, um, even though you can use regular oil to cook on Yantif. And, and, but it's, but as we know, on Yantif, I'm allowed to cook. So why can't I use that oil? Batosvos answers, Because there is a commandment, a mitzvah, a godly need, a tzorach gavoha, it completely and totally cancels out the human need, which is cooking. So even though I have no intention of using that oil, even though I'm using the, I'm using oil, I'm allowed to use oil to cook on Yantif, but I can't use that oil because there's a godly need, there's a godly command to, to burn that oil. So therefore by using it, I'm fulfilling the godly command. And the byproduct is the cooking. I thought that I was cooking and the byproduct is I'm also using oil that I anyway need to burn. No, 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 no. Since Hashem commanded you to burn that oil, that is completely and totally what's happening right now. And the fact that you're cooking with it, that's a byproduct. Maybe it's not even a byproduct. Maybe it doesn't even exist. You're burning consecrated oil, which is a mitzvah. And since it's a mitzvah, that is what's happening right now. The cooking has nothing to do with anything. There's no tzorach, there's no tzorach yantif, tzorach ochel nefesh happening here. Does it make sense? So simply stated, this, this, this makes the conclusion. The Rebbe is going to ask, how do we know? How do we know that a godly need completely and totally canceled out, overrides, whatever word you want to use, a human need? Okay, so what we already discussed. The entire purpose of the world, the entire existence of the world, the entire reality of the world is Torah of Yisrael, is the Torah and the Jews. So when a person uses something for a mitzvah, it completely and totally um, nullifies, overrides, I think Rifki has the word obfuscates, <laughs> the uh, the externalities of the thing. And the only thing that exists is the pnimius, is the inner intent of the entire existence, which is the mitzvah. So because there is a, a godly need, there's a mitzvah, there's a, a godly aspect that a command to burn this oil, it completely and totally has it overrides, cancels out, just goes completely and totally beyond the human need. The human need doesn't even exist in comparison. See if yud. 
So the Rebbe is like, keeps going. <laughs> Can't just leave. We have to keep questioning and keep going. Um, we know that the, the, the Bria, the creation of the world, is for the Jews and for the Torah. This was not a new idea at Matan Torah. This was from the starting point, from the time Hashem created the world. From the moment of creation, this is what it was, that it's, it's for the Jews and for the Torah. So what changed at Matan Torah? Um, that the world went into the state of calm. So the explanation is that the fact that everything is according to its intention, that there's no distinction between um, intention and reality, that the intention is, is, the, is completely and totally connected to what's happening, is only from a godly perspective. Mitzat HaKadosh Baruch Hu, from Hashem's perspective. Kevan Shilagabin Ein Koach Haser Poel, Kinnisgar La'ayel Se'if Ches, as we already discussed in section Se'if Chet, that um, there's no actual without potential, there's no potential without actual. Aval Mitzat HaNivra'im Shilagabin Koach Haser Poel, but according to us, according to the world, according to humans' creations, where there could be potential without actual, we don't necessarily feel that the entire reality of existence is eloquence as godliness. So the inner intention is that we draw down godliness into the world from a worldly perspective, that the entire reality of the Torah is, uh, the entire reality of the world is Torah and Yisrael, and that this should be um, revealed and this should be understood not just from a godly perspective, but from a human, from a worldly perspective. <coughs> and this is what happened at the time of Matan Torah when the world was calm, as it says. Before the giving of the Torah, it wasn't, there was no revealed and obvious connection between the Torah and the Jewish people. Sorry, but, um, sorry, I said that wrong. Um, between the world and Hashem. And therefore the physicality of the world was strong. The Alder it was as if it was like a, an entity unto itself. As we said in, in section Ches, that there was a, it was as if the two, there were two separate entities. But through the giving of the Torah, we were given the ability to reveal this in the world. From the perspective, from a worldly perspective, from the perspective of the world, 
we were given this ability to reveal godliness in the world. So not just that godliness was revealed from a godly perspective, but from a worldly perspective. That was the distinction at Matan Torah. Yud Aleph. So according to all this, we can understand the different types of witnesses, the witnesses of the Shemaim Ba'aretz, of the heavens, and the witnesses of the Jewish people. As we already said, one was Ede Biwar and the other is Ede Kiyum. One is testifying to what happened and one is an integral part of what happened. As we know that Hashem had a desire to have a dwelling in our world, in the lowest world. And this dwelling comes through the drawing down of the essence of Hashem. Um, and this should happen physically, uh, practically. That there should be a dwelling, there should be a real recognition of the essence of Hashem in the lowest worlds. Um, as we know, that the heavens and the earth they testify to the strength to the existence of Hashem but not to necessarily the drawing down of Hashem into this world. The, the testimony the, of the heavens and earth is from a godly perspective. Because the heavens and the earth, in that sense, they're, they're like a separate thing. They're separate. They're saying there is a God, but they're not saying, we are one in, we are wound up and tied up with God, but they're, they're testifying there is a God. You look at the greatness of the world, there has to be a God. They're testifying, they come to testify that there is a God. But in order that this dwelling of Hashem should be, um, from the perspective of the world, of the creations, the human perspective, it has to be through the Avaida of the Torah and the mitzvahs, the Nishamas as well, the Torah and the mitzvahs of the Jewish people. Because they bring in this new idea. That the dwelling in the lowest place should be from the perspective of the lowest people, of the lowest reality. Um, and now this goes back to the idea of the Ede Kiyum, the um, witnesses of establishment, that they actually create the reality itself, as we said in Sif Gimel. So through the testimony, the witnesses of Yisrael, which were this Eidekim, witnesses of establishment, there's a greater strength in the world, as spoken about earlier, Shakata, there's a calmness. Seif Yudbet, Uvaza yash l'va'er gam ken hachilu kaniskar l'ayel, bein Eidekim l'Eidebirur. So now we can understand even more of the difference between these two types of witnesses. 
So we said one of the distinctions was that the um become witnesses in the in the moment when it happens in the instant, whereas the Adebiror, the witnesses um, that watch something happen, they only actually reach their full potential as witnesses or fully become witnesses in the courtroom when they're brought to court. Whereas if there's no court, they're 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 never really completely witnesses. So the testimony of the heavens and earth. They don't reveal or draw down the essence of Hashem into the world whatsoever. Because they're part of the world. Which comes from the word helam, which comes from the, the word like concealed, that things are not obvious, that it's not obvious that there's godliness. Um, the fact that the, that Hashem is seen in the, the heavens and the earth, it's not because of the heavens and the earth, it's because of godliness. Um, and it's it, the fact that Yisrael is able to see godliness is because of the the witnesses the testimony um, of the heavens and the earth. The shleimos habiur the hagilui but it's only going to be complete. It's only going to be they're only going to be fully those types of witnesses in the future. Kasher olam el when the world comes to its complete and full purpose. When Hashem is completely revealed and everyone's going to see it. And the um, and godliness that and the will be revealed with it will be revealed from the flesh. So this is just like I mentioned in the beginning that if it sounds strange to say that's obvious that Hashem's in the world. I think that this is more of a clarification of that, that it is obvious if you meditate and you think about it, but if, but we're not at the completion of that. We're not at the, the end of the road of that. The um, testimony of the Shemaim Ba'aretz have not completely and totally finished their job yet. However, in contradistinction with regard to the testimony of Nishamas Yisrael, Harez el it's opposite. When the Jew does a mitzvah, it's completely and totally um, full. The entire action has been completed in that instant. There's no waiting period, as we said earlier, that those type of witnesses do not require a waiting period. Even now, in a time of Gullus, it's complete. There is not going to leave us with just a deep, for bringing in a deep conversation, but we have to also be practical. This has to do with the way that we keep mitzvahs.
Yeshna avoda shalpi tamvadas vezehu davar hanigla. So we have certain types of avoda that's what we call tamvadas. It's very logical and reasonable. The habiur shetzarich lasok avoda zo lamaila mizet he avoda shet lamaila metamvadas avoda shvechinas mesiris nefesh. And then we have a level of avoda of serving Hashem that's above what's logical to us. It doesn't make sense to us, but we do it anyway because Hashem commanded, and this is self-sacrifice. But even this level of self-sacrifice, keeping the mitzvahs for complete self-sacrifice, is something that a person does logically. They think about it. Is this a mitzvah? Is this something that's commanded in the Shulchan Orach? Is this something that I should be have self-sacrifice? So there's an aspect of my own intellect in it. Like we said initially in the beginning of the Sikha, there's God that I there's the godliness that I can understand. Then there's the aspect of godliness. It's beyond my understanding, but it's still connected to my understanding because I understand that there's something I don't understand. So we have the first one is just like the logical mitzvahs, and then there's mitzvahs I don't understand. But they're still connected to my understanding because I know that they're commanded by Hashem and they're they're in Shulchan Aruch. But there's something even greater than that. The Ha'avoda Ha'chi Nailisi, the highest level, Shemitzat Hiskashus the Ish Yisrael Basmuso Yisbarach, and this is the relationship. This is the connection that a Jew has to the essence of Hashem. Mitzat Etzim Haneshama from the essence of his soul. Mesiris Nafsho Hi Bli Shum Hiskablus Vechashvenus. Self-sacrifice without any calculations or without any thought about it at all. And this is where you're called witnesses. This is the level of the witness. Um, this is where you're drawn, this is where you drawn down the essence of Hashem into this world. Whenever I think about the Sirius Nefesh, the story of um, Daniel Pearl always comes to mind as like a, a very modern day example, just uh, not to get too off track, but um, he was a Jewish man that was not leading a, a typically observant lifestyle and he was a reporter. Uh, he was in the Middle East. I didn't, I didn't prepare the story to share, so I don't have exactly the details, but he was tortured and um, before that he was actually killed, he said out loud, I am a Jew, my father is a Jew, and he came right to the surface. Um, and this is just showing, I mean, to me at least, that this, this level of sacrificing oneself to, um, sacrificing oneself to Hashem, having a complete and total recognition, um, came out from the essence from very, very deep inside, because if he was not, at least on paper, somebody that you would think was someone that was gonna give up his life for his religion. But so there's this aspect that's deeper than intellect. It's not something that we can rationalize and we can, you know, super rationalize. It's beyond all of that. And then the last Saif, Sib Yadalad, Ve'inyan Nosef and even more so, Machar Shekol Metzius HaOlam Ki Kinal. So since we know that the entire world is as we've just discussed, HaKavana Shebo HaTorah Yisrael, that the intention of it is the Torah Yisrael, Ubesha HaKavana Zo Ba Lide Giliu, and that when the intention comes to the surface, the reality 
completely and totally, this, the, the externalities completely and totally fall apart. So what's the lesson? That when a Jewish person goes to do a mitzvah, there's nothing else to think about. Not about myself, not about other things. Because when a person does the mitzvah, every other aspect, every other background completely and totally disappears. And the only thing that exists is the mitzvah. And where does this come from? This comes from that level of witness within the soul. You have that first level, which we spoke about, the, the logical mitzvahs, which, we, which is like the idea that Hashem is within the world that I can get to intellectually. And that aspect of, I know what I don't know, which is the um, which is the idea that Hashem is surrounding, is greater than the world. And third, that it's, um, and that there's space for, for creation. The third, that the avoda of the essence of the soul, which is utterly connected to Hashem. It can be felt. It can be felt um, uh, within this world. Um, according, connected to an individual person. That the entire existence of the world is godliness. Torah v'Yisrael. So um, I'm just going to add one little thought. I know we don't want to editorialize here. Um, I had a guest for Chavez, a student brought another guest. And before she came, she told me something about the girl that she was bringing that was a little bit off-putting. And I thought, wow, she's really, really, really far gone. And I was just feeling a little down. I know it's maybe not the typical um, Chabad approach to think, oh, this girl's so far gone. What's the point in her even coming? Like, is, is, is my, uh, my chicken soup really gonna change this person's life? Um, I'm just being honest. I, I know that that's not like the, you know, the greatest way of looking at things that I was feeling a little bit down. And then I um, I was in the middle of preparing the sticha actually. And then I got to the end of it and I said, wow, when the Jew does the mitzvah, every other thing falls apart. There's nothing but the mitzvah. That's the entire godly, the entire mitzvah of the world. And I completely and totally was like uplifted and felt like much, much better about about everything, I'm even much better. I just, it was like a complete change of, of thought. And indeed, it actually was a beautiful Shabbos. So I'm sharing a little anecdote. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thank you. It looks thank like the Shabbos took lots of preparation. Thank you for all the work you put in. It was excellent. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. It was beautiful. Thank you, Tipa. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tipa. Well Tipa done. Was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be well.